You are in college as the Kairos of your life, and I am Pastor Jonathan Reese. So I um, currently am a professor and a theology professor at Concordia Irvine, but before that, I served seven, minutes, minutes, seven years in the campus ministry department. Um, and before we kind of really jump into the meat of all, all of this, I want to do another activity with all of you, and I want to do a responsive reading. This is adapted from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And how we're going to do this is I'm going to play the role as pastor. That makes sense, right? And then I'm going to have the left side speak. So let's see. That would be this side, because you would be my right, but that would be left, right? And then the right side, okay? We got that down? We should all be able to do this, right? Because we're all Lutherans, right? So we understand responsive reading. Yeah? Show me a thumbs up. All right, let's go for it. All right, let's begin. Uh, for everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Amen. All right. You guys did great. Um, so let's talk about time in Greek. In the Greek translation of Ecclesiastes, okay, and that's for those of you guys who are kind of nerd out on Greek like I do, um, there is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. I heard somebody say it, right? Um, so in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes, there's two words that are used for time here, and we also find them in the New Testament. The first one is uh, chronos. What does this word look like? What English word does this word look like? Chrono uh, chronology, right? And there's a reason for that, because this English word, that's the Greek background for it. And when you think of chronology, you might think of your history textbooks, right? You open them up, and you see a chronology of history, right? Or chronology of the Civil War, or whatever going on, and, and that's... And that's what the chronos is. It's this idea that, that uh, marks a kind of a time period, right? In fact, we see this word being used um, in the beginning part for the word season. Uh, the Greek word behind season is chronos, right? There is a season of your life in high school, right? We sometimes even talk about it that way, right? And the, and the chronos of high school was you go from your freshman year to your senior year, and you pray that you make it, right? Um, college is the same way. There's a season of your life of college. You go from your freshman to your senior year. Some people are super seniors. Take them a little bit longer, and that's okay. But that's, that's the chronos, right? The chronos of your life and experience. The other word that you're probably already aware of because it's in the title of, of this session is kairos. Kairos is also, and it's the word that's predominantly used in this text, and it's the word for time. And all those other things we said, a time for this or time for that, is all kairos. Kairos is understood as describing those moments, those, those experiences um, kind of thing, right? That's why we saw about the time for the res hall, the kairos for the res hall to be open, for it to be closed down. There's a, there's a kairos for textbooks, right? All those moments, those experiences of life. So, so in the 
chronos of our life, we have all these kairos moments, okay? And we heard about from our volunteers, you guys did awesome. I appreciate you being very, very open to as well. You heard about some of those looked forward to kairos moments, right? But you also heard about some of those hesitancies of maybe future kairos experiences they're going to have. And today, what I really want to focus in on is I really want to focus in on those kairos moments that bring lots of confusion or um, anguish or anxiety, those kinds of things. And the reason why is because that's really where our faith gets tested. Okay? When things are going really well, right, when the kairos moments are just are, are great moments, hang on, and this exam, wow, that girl said yes to me, wow, that guy wants to date me, you know, all these things are going really well, you know, we, we feel very good about our faith, right? But when things aren't going well, that's really where I think the rubber meets the road when it comes to our faith. And so that's where I really want to focus in on in regards is to those kind of kairos moments. Um, here's the thing. I told you I have seven years of experience doing campus ministry. Before that, I actually, I have uh, a lot more experience being doing youth ministry and children's ministry and, and young adult ministry in the parish. Um, but I don't want to speak out of my experiences of the students coming to me. Rather, I want you to hear from students themselves. And so what I did in preparation for this session is I took videos. I actually had some students of mine come in and I did recording videos of them them sharing with you challenges or struggles they faced. So we're going to start off with, and I'm going to introduce you to Ben. Ben just graduated, and I'm going to let you hear from him the challenge struggle that he's faced in college. Yeah, a major thing I have struggled with in college is not essentially not knowing what I want to do not knowing a direction God has called me to, just really struggling in that. Do I be a DCE? Do I go to the seminary? Do I choose pre-sem? To this day, I'm a senior. I graduate in a couple months, and my future is basically unknown. I have felt a lot of pressure to, to, do, to go certain ways, to go to seminary, to be a DCE, to do this, to do that. And I just have not known and have struggled with that. So I heard an interesting statistic um, this past semester is that 40% of all incoming freshmen change their major within the first year. 40%. That was my daughter's experience. Uh, she just completed her freshman year. In fact, she's a good friend with, with Jarrett. And within the first four weeks, she changed her major. Now I know what you're thinking. How can this young stud in front of you have a daughter in college, right? And your laughter means you agree with me, right? God, that guy's so young, there's no way. Um, but you, you heard it with Ben too, right? He came in with one expectation, he was thinking about gonna do this one thing, and then he began to wrestle through it. It's not uncommon, by the way, for a lot of college students to change your major two or three times within their, in their college life. It's also not uncommon where I've even had students come into me and it's like spring semester, their senior year, and they're like, um, I don't wanna be a business major anymore. I had this just happen to me this summer. I took a, a mission trip to the Navajo reservation and I had a student that's going into her senior year that said, I don't know that I really wanna do what I'm going into now, right? 
not uncommon. And so that causes a lot of kind of Kairos anxiety in our lives, right? When we come in with one plan and then we exit and, and we don't have a plan, Ben exited and he still does not know what he wants to do. He's st still, still kind of like pondering it and wrestling through it. And that brings a lot of anxiety, that can bring a lot of doubt, that can bring a lot of stress. And when we talk about doubt and stress and anxiety, I want to talk to you a little bit about Megan. Because Megan also had expectations coming in college for one thing that weren't met. And I'm gonna let you talk, I'm gonna let her talk to you about those stories. I grew up, all of the relationships around me were formed in their college years. And so I came to college expecting to get into a relationship, get married, and live happily ever after. And although I had a couple of relationships that were great, um, they just didn't end up working out in the way that I know God wants me to have a relationship. So moving forward now, I am graduating, not in a relationship, which is much different than I'd ever pictured. And I'm still trying to figure out how to find contentment in now. And it's, a, it's something that I struggle with every day, knowing that God will provide for me in the future, but still trying to come to terms with all the blessings he gives me now and how he wants me to grow in those before he provides me with the things that he knows I need later on. Have you heard of the phenomenon known as ring by spring? Right? If When you get into college, I, I see the adults shaking their head. They know what this is about. Ring by spring is a thing that usually happens maybe the junior or senior year um, of college where uh, young ladies who have been in these kind of serious long-term relationships are hoping that their, their bows pop the question, right? And they have that ring by spring, right? That's where it is. So hopefully by junior year, sometimes in the spring, so they have a year to prepare and they graduate and they get married and, and what have you kind of thing. That's what Megan was looking for. She was looking for her ring by spring. She, was, she had seen that. She saw that, grew up with it. That's how relationships developed. She thought that's, that's what was going to be for her. So she came in college anticipating for it kind of thing. And she went through and she just graduated. And, and you heard her talk about how she had some relationships started and they, and they faltered and they fell apart. And, and, and now she's at this point in time thinking, okay, I had this one expectation going to college and that didn't find itself either. Right? So you have these two different things that, that cause stress and anxiety, right? These, these Kairos experiences of stress and anxiety over these kind of failed expectations. So what can be said in regards to our faith about this? I want to go to St. Paul. And I invite you to read this with me. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Reread. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says this, do not be anxious about anything. Now, last night in the mass event, right, we saw that, that skit where, where you heard these, these little, like, trite things that were given out to people, right? And sometimes we look at this kind of thing with Paul and we say, Paul, are you just, like, giving this little trite thing? Oh, it's great for you to say not to be anxious. But I want to talk about Paul for a moment. Do you realize that when Paul was writing this letter, he was in prison? Paul was in prison. 
Paul had no idea if he was going to be released. Paul had no idea if he was going to have his day in court. So if anybody knew anything about anxiety, it's Paul. Paul's not being trite here. Paul's not sugarcoating things here. Paul is not being like a Pollyanna kind of thing, a pie in the sky kind of thing. He's being very realistic. And yet in the midst of his prison time there and all the struggles and everything that he's gone through, and you can read that in Paul's life, he says, don't be anxious about anything. In fact, rejoice and be thankful. Have this worshipful attitude in the midst of it all. And if you're like me, I look at this and say, huh? Paul, how can you even say that in in your circumstances that you've gone through? Paul shares with us. Verses 10 through 13. Let's read these together. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you don't have this passage highlighted in your Bible, you should highlight it. And then highlight it again and circle it. Because this is great, right? Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be what? Content. And how is Paul able to be content? You drop to the bottom. Because why? Because he can do all things through who? Christ who strengthens him. By the way, we take this Bible passage out of context. You see it slapped on mugs. You see it on bumper stickers. It's not that you can do everything through Christ. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about... He can actually, he knows what it means to face issues and to deal with things like prison and and suffering and trials. Why? Because he can face those because of Christ. Because of the one who knows something more about anxiety than Paul does or about you and me. What's this a picture of? Yeah, praying in Gethsemane. Luke 22 describes something very interesting about Jesus while he's praying. It describes how Jesus actually sweated blood while he was praying. It's actually a very real medical condition. People who are under extreme duress or anxiety or stress can actually um, sweat blood. What was Jesus facing? What was going to happen the very next day? He was going to be crucified, right? And he's praying that prayer, right? Lord God, if it's your will, right? Take this cup, pass, may this cup pass from me. But not as my will, your will be done. He knows something about anxiety because he faced the anxiety of the cross. He faced the cross for Paul, right? He faced the cross for you and for me. Jesus knows anxiety, right? And it's because Jesus faced anxiety in the cross for Paul. That's why Paul says what he says. That's why he says that it's Christ that strengthens him, right? He says that whatever he faces, he can endure through that because of Christ. And that's the same thing for Ben, and that's the same thing for Megan, right? Despite whatever happens, whatever the the outcomes of those situations are going to be, they can face the day because of Christ who strengthens them in the midst of their anxiety and their struggles. And that's such an important message I want you to hear. 
that Christ strengthens you in the midst of what you're going through. That's why Paul can say, don't be anxious. That's why Paul can say, have this worshipful attitude to rejoice and be thankful, right? Because Christ is there with you in the midst of all of that. And speaking of anxiety, um, I want to share with you Rachel's story. She might look familiar to you. She was up on stage last night because she's an LIF gal. Um, she is a, a proudly an Irvine student, and I want you to hear Rachel and struggles she's dealt with. Okay, um, so a crisis that I faced here in college was during my freshman year of school. At the very end, I was studying for finals, um, working with friends, when I got a phone call from my dad telling me that my mom uh, had been hospitalized. She'd been taken away by an ambulance and was suffering from internal bleeding, and uh, the doctors didn't really know what was going on. Um, and at the same time, in the same phone call, my dad told me that uh, that same day he had lost his job. One of the interesting things is when we think about college, we tend not to think about those outside Kairos experiences impacting us. A lot of times when people think about college, they think about, you know, the stresses over grades and majors, right, and things that we've heard about, relationships, all those kinds of things. We don't think a lot about how those outside situations, again, impact us. But I can tell you that Rachel's story is not unique. Uh, in the seven ministries that I, the seven years that I served in campus ministry, I have, I walked with students who dealt with these kinds of issues time and time again. Lots of students who came in through my doors and were talking to me about, I just found out that you know, my grandma died, or I just found out that my mom was, was diagnosed with cancer, or I just found out my parents are getting a divorce, or I just found out that my, my dad or my mom or whatever lost their job. So we don't think about those kind of outside experience. When you think about college, we don't think about that. But let me tell you, right, those outside things don't go away just because you go to college. And those outside things do make an impact on you while you're in college. One of the things that I do when, I'm, when I, as a professor and I'm teaching classes, when I, on, on day one of class, one of the things that I tell my students is I say, I, I don't care about you just for your mind. I care about you holistically. And I know that there are experiences and things in life that will happen to you that can impact you as a student. So I, I, I want you to be able to come and tell, tell me and talk to me about those things, even if it's just letting me know that, hey, I'm not going to be able to be in class today because... I just got this news about my grandma or something like that. And I always tell my students too as well, I, I want to be in prayer for you. So share with me whatever it is that's going on. I want to pray for you. Kind of thing. Those outside things impact you as students, right? And, and that's the reality of it is. And what's interesting is that I find in these experiences that when students come and talk to me about these things, and especially these family things that are going on, there's usually two emotional responses I find. First one is guilt. They feel guilty that they're not home right? They, they feel like they need to be back home. They need to be there with their family in the midst of all this kinds of stuff that's going on, despite the fact that more times than not, their parents say, no, you're, you're at where you need to be kind of a thing. The other one that usually quickly follows is anger. And this is where you hear the why questions. We heard those last night, right, in the mass event, the why questions. Why? Why is this happening to my family? Why is my mom going through this situation? Why did my dad lose the job? Why are these things all going on? I'm, I'm, I don't understand what God is doing right now. And, and the truth is, by the way, is that we can't always divine 
and most of the time we can't divine to know why those experiences are happening at that moment to that family or that person. Sure, I can talk to you all day long about the reason why these things happen is because we live in a fallen world, and you know that, right? That's why we deal with suffering. That's why we deal with broken relationships and those kinds of things, because we live in that environment, but we don't always understand why it is that those things happen at that moment to that family. In Rachel's life, it felt like the perfect storm was coming. All these things were going on all at once, right? The same day that she heard about her, her mom being in the hospital, her dad says, yeah, and I lost my job. Talk about stress and anxiety, right? Talk about those kind of kairos moments that go on. And, and by the way, at the same time, you, you have papers that you have to turn in, right? You've got, you've got reading assignments that you have to do, and yet you're, you're having to deal with all this extra kind of burden on your mind about what's happening with family. So how can our faith help in the midst of all this? Read this passage with me from James. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. I find that a lot of time that people, when, when we talk about, hey, uh, you, let's be in prayer about that, it, it comes across as being cliche, right? Have you heard about that? It just seems very cliche. Really, that's your answer to pray? But here's the thing. We know that prayer is powerful, right? Not because prayer itself is some sort of like magical thing, but because the person that we pray to is powerful, right? That's why we know it's powerful. Here's the thing. Yeah, we can pray that God takes, takes that situation out, right? We can pray that God will instantly heal. And we should pray those prayers. We should pray that God should help my father find a job. We should, we should pray those prayers. We see that Paul did this, right? Remove this thorn from my flesh, right? He prayed that suffering, remove that from my life, and that's a good thing. But what was God's answer to Paul? Do you remember? My grace is sufficient for you. Was the thorn removed? It wasn't removed. And Paul learned to rely upon God's grace in the midst of the situations that he was dealing with, in the midst of those kairoses that he was dealing with. And that's what James is talking about here too as well, right? In suffering, pray. And it's not just prayer about take the suffering away, but I really encourage you to pray for God's grace to help you deal with the suffering. The reality is, you and I are going to suffer. That's just the truth. It's going to happen. So, what I think is really important for us to understand is how we handle that and to pray for God's strength and grace in the midst of all that. And also, too, here's something that I've started to do more and more. And as a parent of three kids, I've got two boys in high school, pray for me, and a daughter in college. Um, and the thing that I started to do more and more as I gotten older, and, and, and this is going to probably more for the adults in the room, but I started to pray more and more for my kids' faith to be protected. Because I'm concerned about the, the evils in the world that will try to pull them down and pull them away from the Christian faith. And when are you most vulnerable? It's when you're suffering, right? And it's so important to pray during that time that God protects you and your faith in the midst of that suffering. That doesn't mean that you're praying that you take away the why questions, right? It's okay to have the why questions. We saw those. There's all kinds of Psalms and the prophets and even Jesus from the cross. I love this. My God, my God, why? And just because you ask why doesn't mean you have a weak faith. 
right? But to pray for having strength in the midst of all that and protection that Satan doesn't take advantage of that. That's really important. That's really important. All right, I'm going to transition and we're going to talk uh, about a different struggle that we see in college from Maddie. Something that has really challenged me in college and continues to challenge me is to find my identity. My identity that I need to find in Christ and not just the people of this world and the things of this world, but really figure out who God has called me to be and not who others have called me to be. How many of you ever asked the question, who am I? No one's ever asked that question. Okay, some of you are bold to raise your hand. Come on. You probably asked it in some way or the other, right? Whether it's out loud or to yourself, right? This is the perennial question of life. And it doesn't matter what stage of life you're at, people tend to ask this question, who am I? Who am I? Right? That's Maddie's question. Who am I? Am I the person that uh, my parents think I am, I am? Am I the person that my friends think I am? Am I the person that my teachers or my professor thinks I am? Who am I? Right? And there's an answer to that. Paul tells us his answer. Read this passage with me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our identity, right? Our identity, the answer to the who am I question is right here, people. I love this passage. This is actually one of my favorite Bible passages, right? Paul is saying his identity is in the crucified Christ, right? His identity isn't being told to him by sinful humanity, right? Sinful humanity aren't the ones who are, who are telling him who he is. Rather, it's Christ. Christ who has redeemed and transformed him. And where does this identity come upon us? Well, it comes here. That's a very old grainy picture because it's the picture of my baptism. It's actually the picture of my sister too. I have a twin sister. On January 23rd in 19... I was baptized in the Christian faith. I was crucified with Christ. Right there. And I imagine you also had that kairos moment in your life. That redemptive kairos moment, right? That in your baptism, that new identity was brought upon you. It's not that you have to try to find that identity. That identity is already there. You've been baptized into that identity. And that is the prime identity over any other identities in your life. I like to say that it is the redemptive narrative where all other narratives find their meaning and purpose. Right? That is right there. The problem that I find is that we forget about that identity. This is why Luther talks so much about daily remembering your baptism. Right? When you're taking a shower, when you're drinking water, right? Whatever's going on, maybe when you're sweating as you're walking to and from from places, right? That water that's remembering of you, of your identity in Christ, right? Remember whose you are. Remember that no matter what happens in life, right? That, that these other situations, these, these struggles and these other Kairos situations and everything too, they don't identify who you are. That's already been taken care of in Christ. Christ identifies who you are. 
You've been baptized into him. That's so cool. That's such a thing that we need to remember, a strength that we need to remember in our day-to-day life, in our day-to-day life. Uh, one of the things that uh, when I counsel with college students and they come in and they talk to me about these Kairos struggles and these challenges that are going on, one of the things that I like to do is I like to remind them of the faith and the trust that they have. And so this passage is always such a key passage, right? Read this with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. We could go to verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make his path straight. How many of you know the song? Trust in the Lord with... No? Am I the only one? You all want to see me do a musical up front, don't you? Yeah. Uh, trust in the Lord, right, with all of your heart, right? And do not lean on your own understanding. Easier said than done, isn't it? Can I get an amen to that one? Amen, right? But here's the thing. It's when, I, when, I, when they come and they talk to me about these challenges and everything too as well, and, and, and I say to them, I said, do you have faith and trust in Christ Jesus? Yeah. So you have faith and trust that God has taken care of the ginormous biggest issues of life. Your sin, right? He saved you. You have eternal life. The question of death is taken care of, right? And the resurrection, right? You trust Christ and above all those, in, in all those things. So why do you have a hard time trusting Christ in these smaller things of life? If Christ is taking care of all of that, Do you think that Christ might take care of you in the midst of your wrestlings with where do I go to, what do I do with my my major or what major should I be in or or do I even want to do this major anymore? Or do you you think maybe Christ is going to take care of you in the midst of your struggles with your relationship issues? Or do you think Christ is going to be with you in the midst of your struggles in regards to family situations, right? Christ has got you. That does not mean, by the way, that everything is going to work out the way that we hope it works out. American Christianity has done a really bad job of teaching that, you know what, as long as you got faith, everything's going to to pan out for you. No, it's not. No, it's not. Not everything's going to pan out for you the way that you hope it's going to pan out for you. More importantly, you trust Christ in the midst of all that. We heard that message last night. I had no idea, by the way, that they were going to do what they did. And so when I was there last night, I'm like, dude, this is so cool because it's going to totally come into what I'm talking about today. Trusting Christ in the midst of the struggles. Trusting Christ when there seems to be more questions than answers, right? And even when our faith is weak, Jesus is strong. Even when the storms of life come upon us and, and we, we feel like our, 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 we're slipping as we're trying to grab a hold of Jesus, we realize, guess what? He's holding on to us, right? This is kind of really where the rubber meets the road when it comes to the Christian faith. Whatever we face in life, right? As Paul talked about, the good or, or the bad, do we trust Christ in the midst of all that, right? That he is going to carry us through in the midst of all and strengthen us in that journey. I had um, conversations off book with the four of them, and I was really curious to hear from them about, hey, what are, your, um, what are ways in which you seek to um, 
uh, be strengthened by your faith in the midst of your struggles and your challenges. And so I really wanted to hear from them what they talked about. And, and I had those interviews one-on-one -on -one with each of those. They were separate, they weren't together. And I mentioned that because every single one of them mentioned something that I thought was, um, that was the same thing that they mentioned that was really, really, really important. They mentioned the importance of brothers and sisters in the faith. They mentioned the importance of having a community of faith with them when they're going through the midst of it all. Those of you who are going away to college, I can't emphasize enough of finding that community of faith. Uh, Genesis chapter 2. God talked about a lot of things that were good in creation. In Genesis chapter 2, he says there's one thing that's not good. Do you know what it was? It's not good for man to be alone. And so who did he create for Adam? Eve, right? God created us to be in community. And this is such a major theme throughout the Bible and well into the New Testament. We need brothers and sisters in the faith, right? Here's the thing. When, when you're a wounded sheep, it's not a good idea to isolate yourself from the pack because who comes after you? The wolf, right? Satan wants us to be isolated from the pack in the midst of our struggles so that he can even attack us more. What we need is to be around people and we need to be around with our brothers and sisters in the faith. And here's the other thing too as well. Find brothers and sisters in the faith who are not going to give you those trite answers. We're not going to say, oh, everything is going to work out okay for you. Oh, there's more fish in the sea. All those kinds of things. What you want to find are brothers and sisters in the faith who are going to listen to you. I would train care ministers and I would tell them one of the most important things you can do is shut up and listen. Just listen to people and be present with them. The book of Job, have you read the book of Job? Do you realize where the book of Job goes wrong? It's when Job's friends start talking. You know where Job's friends did really well? Is when they saw Job in the dust and in, in, in his wounds and they went and they were just present with him. We need that. When we have struggles and trials and everything going on, we're dealing with those kairos moments, you want brothers and sisters who are just going to be listening ears for you. Who are going to pray with you and for you too as well, right? And you don't need people who are going to provide answers for you, right? You need people who are going to be with you, who are going to journey with you through that. That's what you need. As a pastor, by the way, and, and, and by the way, as Americans, we really like to fix things, right? We're Americans. Got to fix the problem, right? And we take that in regards to, as a pastor, I take that in the ministry and I have to fight against that all the time. Somebody comes in and I'm, I'm hearing, I'm talking, I'm like, all right, I know how to fix this for them. I have to resist that. And there have been situations and things when people come in and they talk to me about things and I hear stuff and I'm like, I have no idea what to say to this person. And so I'm just a listening ear. I always have tissue in my office, right? And at the end, I pray with them. And what's interesting I found in those kinds of situations is I'll get emails or follow-ups from those students and they'll say, Pastor, I just want to thank you so much for what you did for me. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't do anything for you. I didn't say anything that was profound. I didn't give you any kind of these great words of wisdom. And that's not what they're thanking me for. They're thanking me that I was just present with them and I was a listening ear. And that was a shoulder to cry on. Those brothers and sisters in faith again, are so important, right? Every Sunday when we do the Apostles' Creed, we testify to this, right? Third article, right? I believe in the 
Holy Spirit, the church, the communion of saints, right? The Christian church communion of saints, that's what we need is that communion of saints of people who are around us who are going to journey with us in our faith and our struggles.